Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we will be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Emilia and Akina. Today, we are so excited to welcome Sofia Stieglitz, We'll be discussing working as a cinematographer in Mexico, the influence of interpersonal relationships in our careers, and how she became one of the founders behind Amazonas Electricas, an all-female crew of Latina gaffers and electricians operating out of Mexico. This is part two of our interview with Sofia Stieglitz. You've mentioned the word community a lot in this interview. Why is community important to you? And how does it affect your filmmaking process or your the way you choose to live out the ethos in your career? Yeah, I think that when when Akina said something about community, I was like, it sparked something mm-hmm. at, at the beginning because I was like, oh, of course, it's all about community. But I hadn't <laughs> like brought into my consciousness until she said so. Mm. But um, see, I think that... I do feel like Amazonas Electricas has this like community social kind of energy that comes from me. Like, like I feel that like part of why it has evolved and why I've like fought for that in a way is because I feel it's like a way I can affect my community and be affected by it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And, like it's not always like pink and beautiful because it's like sometimes it can get nasty in that like process of learning and uh, catharsis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do feel that that is like something that I can do for my community, mm-hmm. and that in a way also does for me, you no? Know, because like I do get job offers, and it does help that I have that network and that outreach with that account mm-hmm. you know, and with that um, platform. Yeah. Because social media does have that impact to communicate to a lot of people, right? That's what it's all about. And and yeah, I think community is important to me in a way I before I didn't feel I had it. You know? mm. Like like there was one point when I Kina mentioned that I was like, Well of course I didn't feel I had community. Mm-hmm. I was like I didn't know anybody. I mean, I knew some people from when I was a child actor and my parents but my parents and especially my dad and the films that I was working in were a lot more like video homes or B movies, like there were like a couple kind of Mexican industry commercial, but most of them weren't, you know. They were like, um, in Mexico, the B-movie industry, like, would go to a VHS and get distributed in the towns. And they wouldn't, like, it was very different industry than, than the one that I wanted to get into. Mm. That was more like... I want to be a working cinematographer. I want to shoot commercials. I want to shoot films. I want to like shoot like big stuff and uh, stories that I actually respect. I think that I had very clear when I decided to move to LA. I was like, I want to learn from the people that I really respect. There's something about American classic 
narrative storytelling that I didn't have down that I wanted to learn. Because I was like, why? Why is Hollywood like so good at this? Can't be just the money, you know? And and I love other types of waves and countries and cultures, cinema and everything. But but like we were saying, why is it the like golden egg? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why? And I kind of felt it was something about that, uh, something about the classical narrative storytelling that I really wanted to learn and, and that I wasn't getting, at least in that that little community I didn't know that were actually like most of them were boomers. They weren't even my, my generation. The people from my generation were like actors and they were like in acting school and doing other things. They weren't getting the jobs. And the producers I had met and the directors I had met were all boomers that were shooting video homes. And I was like, I don't want to work with them, you know? Yeah, I don't know how I can do And then I remember reaching out to some cinematographers and being like, hey, can I work for you? Can I see or can I like operate or all of that? And then being like, oh, I'm sorry, I already have my community. Mm. You know, and I was yeah. like, I remember that happened to me at 23, exactly. 24. You know, I was like, wait a sec. Oh, right. And then there was more established cinematographers that actually did give me opportunities. So it was it was interesting to see how the, uh, the up and comings in that time, they were like, oh, I have more people and we're going and we're in the hustle. And but the ones that had been around for 30 years or 20 years, they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Come, we'll hire you a couple of days, see what you're about. Yeah. Also, you know? that's why our industry has such a like, you know, like a lot of people work for free. It's because mm-hmm. of that. It's because mm-hmm. that's how you have to get into the your community, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you if everyone has their crew, but you're like, okay, I want to learn from you, I want to shatter from you, mm-hmm. but they don't have the budget for you, so you're like, okay, I have to do it for free. Mm-hmm. You know, so definitely bad system. <laughs> I we've all put in a lot of free. Three hours, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, and then people take advantage of that too. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm also hearing that you've you've been very proactive about reaching out to more experienced cinematographers and uh, acquiring like mentorship, uh, informal mentorship from them. Can you speak a little bit about the role of mentorship? What what the role of mentorship in your career and how how it's affected it and helped it grow. Okay, so because I did have like one foot in the film industry because my father was an actor, I definitely did have like certain access to meeting a couple of cinematographers like Henry Hoffman or like Guillermo Navarro. Like when I when I met them, it was definitely through like family relations. Those were like the first ones. I was also very young, right, when I met them. I mean, I was like probably like not even 17 or... Actually, my first mentor, now that I remember, um, when I was 15, I was kicked out of high school. Because all I wanted to do is be in the dark room and didn't care about anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't do really good in my other classes. And then I was like a rebel without a cause and just would fight over anything. (laughs) 
Antara. Uh, got kicked out and started doing like the GD Mexican thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of different, but similar. So by then, my mom had divorced. My dad had been like, she was working in a production company that the owner was a, a Japanese cinematographer that was very established. And when I met him, because my mom was working there, I was like, hey, so I already know I want to be a cinematographer. I already studied like photography. I already understand exposure and camera and all this, like still photography. Can I learn more with you? And he was like, yes, come on. And and that was great. He gave me my first like this book of like Tiffin filters and um, that I still say with like so much love and, and that I can still use and reference. And, and then he started, I was his camera PA. But I was 15 years old when that happened. Wow. Mm-hmm. So really, really young and really, really hungry to learn. And kind of sad that I had been kicked out of that high school, but also kind of liberated because it was like a very harsh environment and community. Mm-hmm. Like high school is brutal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like I was finally out. I stayed. And like, and I met new people, hung out with the camera crew, started learning the cameras. Back then, they would still just use film. I mean, I, I think like some video cameras were coming out, but he was shooting big commercials. So they would still do them on 35. And then I, I think it was like eight years later, the first red camera came out. So like... When I was doing the GED, I would work with him, PA on shoots, loved it, learned a bunch, then passed the GED test, uh, the Mexican one, and then we call the open system, and um, and decided I wanted to go to film school. And then when, when I was kind of like deciding, because my dream was to go to London, right, mm-hmm. since I was like in, fell in love with this guy that moved to Spain. And I'm like, wait a second. I think I'm going to Spain now. <laughs> You're like chasing the heart. And that time, that boyfriend that I had met in that other high school, then I, I got kicked out, but he was still in that high school. We started dating like when we were, I was 18, like my first love. His older brother was is a cinematographer. That was uh, up and coming. Uh, and now it's ASC and AMC and like pretty established. And then his dad and his mom, directors and producers. So like we also connected because I was already working for this other cinematographer, working in the production company. Like because uh, when we were not on set, I would like PA for him at his office or like man, he was my mentor and right yeah. in that way like very conscious he was doing a great job actually i'm so grateful mm. and then when i met this other family because i mean i didn't know his parents were filmmakers and all of that like yeah. we just connected on a different level because he was like a weirdo <laughs> and um and like i fell in love with him and then his family is also filmmaking and then they introduced me to guillermo Navarro, and i was like starstruck <laughs> i was like hey so What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. 
I want to, can you be my mentor? Sure. And he's like, he was like, well, I live in LA, it's complicated, blah, 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 blah. But what I did when I was your age, I just got really deep into photography and cinematography. Like, just go to school, focus on that. I'm like, well, I already know photography in dark room. He's like, no, more, more, like, get in it, more. Because I had been kicked out, I had been like three years without a lab because I had been kicked out of the high school and then now I was 18. And, and he was like, yeah, do that. So I was like, okay, if you say I should do that, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I looked for another photography school. First went to Madrid, like with this guy. I went to, I studied a bit, then applied to the, the film school in Barcelona and then moved to Barcelona. And... It was crazy because at the beginning I wasn't paying rent. I had fought with my parents, didn't have money, didn't have a job, didn't have anything to like pay my trip abroad. And then from the community of B-movie people, they were like, oh, do you want to act in this movie? It was nothing. They gave me like a thousand dollars for like a two month production. (laughs) It was nothing. But I was like, yes, please. (laughs) And then uh, that's what I used to buy my ticket to go to Spain with. Wow. And and this, my partner, my boyfriend, he was like, you don't have to pay rent here. We already, we're, I'm going to have to pay it anyway. Like, he was super privileged and his parents were actually paying for his rent. And I kind of got on that boat in a way. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and... um I, I had like really bad relationship with my parents back then because I had been kicked out. I was working and everything, but I was just like pretty crazy. I was working and learning and I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, but at the same time I was highly irresponsible and would like leave my house three days without calling and do crazy stuff. So, and like smoking weed <laughs> that I was doing back in the day. But I kind of, yeah, I kind of felt like really supported by this guy in that moment. We were really young. We were 18, 19, you know, just kind of like leaving the country, going to study abroad. And then when I got to Spain, I got a job and I was working like um, anything they would give me without papers. Mm. So I was like a white dress uh, um, at a store thing. And that's the, like the only time in my life that I worked in something that is not filmed because I was like, I need to be here. And my parents like are not helping me. And not not only because they don't want to, they can't, right? Like not everybody has that situation. Like, yes, I've had a lot of privilege, but my dad as an actor has been like it's been really hard for him too. Like um especially in Mexico, like in that time of the industry, it's like not like in America that the actors get like twenty million dollars per movie. Mexico that doesn't exist. They get like normal payments, like, I don't know, nothing compared to that. Yeah. And, um, and he wasn't good at like administering his money, honestly, and investing in a lot of movies that he directed and produced and acted in that didn't do good or that his partners would like sell. One time, one of his partners sold the money without him and like... Ooh a deal and this was like before social media and anything like that so like my dad was a struggling artist my mom had like 
had been working her ass out to maintain us and put me like in a privileged school. And um, then I get kicked out. So she wasn't happy about it. And then she was kind of happy when I got that job. And she also kind of was like, oh, maybe that was like something good that she promoted and helped me with because she was working there. But then when I was like moving, she wasn't really... I don't know. I think it was hard for her, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like when the kid leaves the, you fly out of the nest. Yeah, yeah. And I had him. Yeah, especially in Latin America, like it's really hard when you leave the nest at eighteen to another country. Parents don't take it that well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like something we have to do. We yeah. just know we have to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, my mom is Japanese American. So she has like a very different culture background than my Latin family that is like on the side of my dad. But she has been living in Mexico since she's like, I don't know, like eight years old. Mm. So she's very Mexican in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um, she was married to a very Mexican man that was very conservative mm. and was in the mindset. It took some years for my mom to kind of appreciate and for us to heal the relationship, but it did happen. It did happen. And then I, I have I do feel a lot of support from her, like emotionally and in other ways now throughout the years. And that she's also because she she had me when she was twenty one, so she was always like a young mom working in the film industry, and I had that example. And she was a producer, and well, she's a producer and she's a distributor, and she writes, and it was like, and now that she's like in her fifties, she's booming in the industry, you know, like now she's an executive, and now she can help me. But it's not, she can't get me the jobs because that would be like super unethical. Mm-hmm. But um, the um, and it's also like, yeah, she's doing her thing and I'm doing mine. But 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 I do feel like a support of a uh, she divorced that guy. <laughs> personal story and like life changes like that. And now we're both adults and we communicate at a different level. And she's also working on the street, so I I feel a lot of support. Now as a mom, I also think I understand her a lot. And, and she's also helped me a lot. She's like, oh, you got to shoot this movie? Okay, let's go. You know, <laughs> let's help you. Let's, let's like help you do it. And, and that's amazing. I'm really grateful to have a woman like that in my life. Yeah, it's amazing. See, and but mentorship. Mm. Then I think the, 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 uh, there was another mentor um when i came back to mexico i mean i left i started came back i looked for another mentor and i mean these are official mentors but in that way we have so many different types of mentoring yeah. but like official yeah. cinematography um there was this cinematographer that passed away his name is eduardo martinez solares was like uh he he wasn't like Lubezki and Navarro that was doing a lot of films. He was doing like the biggest car commercials, the big campaigns, uh, uh, a lot of fashion, a lot of... And he did do some movies that were great, but he was considered more like the kind of like the top of the, of the commercial game. And I met him once like 
when I came back and through like I was ACing and working for other DPs and met him and I talked to him about hey can I can I operate for you can you be my mentor and he already because he was so established he already had a mentorship program or like unofficial but a lot of people have passed through him as a mentor like I think that's an interesting point like that extra work that the mentors put in are crucial yeah crucial for the development yeah so as we come up and become more established we always have to have that in mind too and also make make it even more conscious in the ASC and the AMC and all the associations of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's important, it's real, and yeah, it's extra work, and I know you're really busy, but and it's a lot of responsibility to put a person there. But if, if we don't, how? I mean, the industry is changing so much, right, with the videography and with all these smaller campaigns and social media and all that, and then there's like the high and productions and then the side changes so much but if if you want to jump from the videographer to actually be doing like bigger stuff if there's not a mentor then it's hard and i mean he gave me a lot of work as an operator and i worked a lot with him i learned a lot with him and then he passed away and it was really interesting to see all the mentorees that were already some established or getting established and some still up and coming, being like, whoa, we owe this man so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was amazing because at his funeral, there was a camera like next to a casket that was inscribed with his name. And it was like a lot of people came together to see him. And yeah, I mean, I reached out to Lubeski after we met him, but he never like really engaged, you know. I'm thinking he gets like a lot of people asking him, and and I I know of other people that have mentored other of my friends, and like even you know even Rachel Morrison has been like really supported throughout her career by the people that have in a way mentored or like pushed for her and. And I think it's amazing to see that and see how it affects us. Yeah. It's a great point. I mean, <laughs> good question. <laughs> That's a teacher in me. Need to hire an underwater cinematographer in the Caribbean? Or a drone certified cinematographer in South America? How about a Mandarin speaking cinematographer that can work in Europe? We gotcha. Our comprehensive database of over 300 members is searchable by location, language, specialties, affiliations, and genre slash categories. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. You know, what are some things that you do outside of cinematography? Like we talk about feeding your soul, right? But like, what are some things, and I know you're a new mom, so that's a lot of it. But what are some other things that you do that are part of who you are that aren't cinematography film related? Because we're all striving to be whole people, right? So. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's been different phases. Like when I was younger, it was like trying to grow up, smoking, uh, partying, trying to drink, getting a fake ID when I was 15. Uh, <laughs> like, because um, I knew I wanted to be a cinematographer since I was like really young. And I started being the camera painting and with this mentor at 15. So that time in my life, 
it was more like discovering who I'm like, we kind of like partying and sexuality and all of that. And then my 20s, it was like, I moved to Barcelona, that is like a very heavy art city. Everything is about art and design and the surrealists and Gaudi and architecture. So I think there I started pulling from art and from music. And I remember I, I, I went into piano classes. Mm. I found this like inexpensive, amazing piano classes from this amazing, beautiful teacher that she would like um, teach me how to cook Spanish food, but also would teach me piano. And mm. um, and I really loved that time in my life where I was like starting film, um, uh, piano, working. Uh, and, um, and then honestly, like I did have like a whole psychedelic, like renaissance situation with mushrooms and like in that time of my life I would go a lot of rapes and <laughs> so I think music and and kind of like exploration of the self and the mind was like something important in in my upbringing in the time that I, I felt highly creative I was like yeah. building and mm-hmm. I would work for art departments and that's also that I used to I started getting money from that so I would build things for the art departments or like the production designers and the art directors and then I slowly started getting like bigger gigs and like oh now I have to build like this tree and and so I was like I had my tools and I was doing carpentry and I was doing like big paper machines and airbrush and like really focused in that part of filmmaking while I was starting to be a cinematographer. But um, it was definitely like art explosion moment <laughs> in my life mm-hmm. and um i've never considered myself like those brains that are like encyclopedias that i think like i really respect that like emmy i think you have a lot like you're really good memory and you have no like you you can tell me the name with date and like yeah and i've never felt that kind of brain mm-hmm. like i'm like oh yeah um, what was his name <laughs> you know like I really, I, I'm not that type of more intellectual. I mean, everybody's different, smart, different ways, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I don't consider myself like, a, I might sound eloquent, but I'm not, an, I don't consider myself driven by like intellectuality. But um, that time in my life, I think, feeded that, like helped me in a way, because I learned about art history and and the city kind of like promoted that in a way. And then I ended up, I graduated from the film school there, came back to Mexico, kind of continued in that kind of wave of, of being an artist and like painting or playing music and learning music and jamming with people. And it's that I, and also like, Oh, throughout, I think, that time with the psychedelics and all of that, I kind of connected to nature. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, oh, I love being in nature. 
Because when I was younger, I would go to the beach or go mountain, and it, it was amazing. I mean, nobody can deny it. But I wasn't really conscious of how it was feeling my soul. I, I mean, I live on the outskirts, or my house is in the outskirts or, uh, in, of Mexico City in like a mountain town. And I dream about like, well, maybe I should move back, but maybe it's Topanga or, you know, like <laughs> I'm looking for this, like, and I, New York is so special and amazing and hard and intense, but there's, I found that there is a great industry there. I'm getting work. I have to like keep working at it because New York is in a way, it was a dream for me. I never thought I could get work in New York. Then it kind of happened and it materialized and and, uh, and in a way, but yeah, and New York has amazing nature too, you know, like it's, it's like right there. So there's this thing about being in nature that I think is important for me and my soul. Um, besides filmmaking and that can give me like the energy to continue. Well, okay. We're going to go into a really big final scary, not really scary question. It's a three-parter. So number one is what is your favorite movie? Number two is what is the movie that is like your comfort movie? The movie that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside and just makes you feel good after like you've had a really crappy day. You know, the thing you watch when you're sick or you just want to feel better, right? Um, And then the third one is, what is the movie that has uh, influenced your cinematography the most or has influenced you as a cinematographer the most? Whoa, I should have studied these questions before. (laughs) With more time. (laughs) This is like hard. Let me first really bring it on. Yeah, sure. So, ah, first movie, favorite movie. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard because, like, you can give it a list, but none of them is, like, on top of the other, I feel. Well, what's your favorite movie that's just been on your mind recently, maybe? One that I consider one of my favorite movies that I always feel is, like, if you ask me, it's that one. I would say Aguirre and the Wrath of God. Oh, yeah. That one is, like... That one blew my mind and like still does. Um, one of my top five for sure. It's hard, no, but it's like in the mood for love is also in that. Mm. That yeah. I don't know. I always felt it was underrated, and I always think one of my favorites is Children of Men. Oh, that's a good one. I really love Children of Men. Comfort movie. Hmm, that's a hard one. Because when I've had a hard day and I just want to chill and I want to kind of disconnect, I do look for, like, comedy. Mm. Like, feel good. Like, recently, my favorites for that is, like, the bad moms. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Because I'm like, oh, Oh, this this kind of humor is what I'm living through right now. <laughs> the battles I missed. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Yeah. Like in that realm of super or like the grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Grown-ups made me laugh so much. I was like, can't believe I'm laughing so hard. I mean, well, it's like Adam Sandler movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how has that happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> I was a teenager. I haven't laughed at Adam Sandler like this. See, come on that type of American funny movie. And there's some really bad ones, right? So, um, but but there's some that make, make just like 
honestly make you laugh. Yeah. And I think it's, I watch a lot of that when I just want like that time by myself or at the end of the day that had a rough day. Yeah. And another thing that is my comfort zone is Japanese anime. Mm. Like I've been watching One Piece since I'm like 19, I know. So it's like the longest ongoing series in Japan. And wow. It's about pirates and friendship. And <laughs> it's really fun. It's really wacky. And it's just like literally, it, literally, it's like between the intro and the end, it's like 20 hard minutes of like story mm-hmm. because they love to like repeat, you know? So I'll binge watch that sometimes. Like I'll, I, because they come every out every Friday in Japan. Then like the fans will translate it and then p- make it public on like the free <laughs> anime sites mm-hmm. with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Every Saturday they come out. Mm-hmm. So some now I don't have time to watch it on Saturdays like I used to. So now I'll just not watch it for like a month or two. And then I'll binge watch those 20 minutes back to back. Nice. And then affected in cinematography. I don't know. That one's also really hard. Really, really, really hard. But I don't know. I always feel like Robbie Mueller really affected me. And like in the simplest way, it has like such a great impact. And um, I think she's movies really have spoken to me as in like building, like inspiration to build my own style. So like, um, see in that sense, I don't know, maybe I would say like Paris, Texas. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a good one. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I also love Robin Miller very, very much. Need to hire a cinematographer? No. Wait, what? And you're still listening to us? Oh, you're being supportive. We really appreciate that. We really do. What's that? How can you support us even if you can't hire us? Well, you can tell people who are looking for IDP to take a gander at our extensive 300 plus member database. Or you can always help us out with donations. If you want to help us out with, um, you know, monetary support, you can go to icfcfilm.com friends to donate. We're an all volunteer run group, so we rely on donations to keep the lights on. Not the literal lights we use, though. Production foots the bill on those. Although, if someone wants to send us a 10K with power for our next project, we won't say no to that either. Um, I actually have a follow-up question to this. We talk about this a lot, and it's very hard to pinpoint because it's ethereal and vague and everything. But to the best of your ability, could you talk about your visual style and Mm -hmm. how you found it? and what that means to you in terms of your work. That's really interesting because it's like, in a way I was taught, or I don't know if we were taught, but like always in function of the story, right? If your personal tastes, or if you show yourself too much and distract from the story, then that's not good either. Yeah. So it's like really hard because you have to be really good, but also don't, like grab the attention off of the story and and then there's films that feel like super gimmicky and they're like mm. oh yeah that's the gimmick it's not the story but 
everything is like this, you know, in film. Like one can't exist with the other and intrinsically it's so hard like not to be gimmicky or when we are like when they were weaving the camera position, the lighting or everything, the framing, everything into the story with everything else from the other departments. So I think I've, I, I'm still like, I feel I'm up and coming in the sense that I've only shot a couple of films and I mean, some documentary, you know, in some shorts and like, I don't feel like I'm established in a photographer and I haven't had the chance yet to shoot five features. Or something like that in four years or five or whatever, no, or less. So I I feel I'm still kind of finding it, but there is definitely a consciousness on on taste or like what I like and don't like or like um, my tendencies. And I think it was very affected by the education I had in AFI in my own way. Or mm-hmm. it, we all interpreted it differently, no. Yeah. But the first person or the narrative point of view I think I think that's another thing I would tell my 23 year old mm. narrative point of view <laughs> learn what that is <laughs> but yeah kind of taking these decisions and being like oh, okay do I want to see the character do I want to see what the character sees mm-hmm. and how do I see or do I see everything from outside no come on those decisions I think are kind of like zoning to me and that that might be kind of like my recurring speech to the directors I work with. Like, okay, where's the narrative point of view? Where where do we want to be? No, are we sticking to this whole story or not? Or like creating more consciousness about that because then that will tell you where the camera kind of wants to be in a way. And I mean, there's lenses I like, but then I'm like, oh, well, maybe we should try these new lenses on this other project because the story is completely different. No, like, oh, the sci-fi may be something more clinical and more sharp and futuristic or, I don't know, like we start taking decisions more in function of that because we do know the equipment. I mean, that's another like point regarding of like how much attention we put into the government or not. Hard because in a way it's always like that, no. And sometimes you don't have to, you can't choose. Yeah. It's like, this is what you have and this is what you're going to use. Yeah. And and then and then we can decide with other things, no? like well, how do I frame this? How do I like this. I, I'm also a fan, like, I, I am a fan of, like, is the feel side to camera. Mm, yeah. No, like, the feel side to camera look and, like, and in a way, like, the the front lid is really hard. I'm saying it's ugly. It can be beautiful, but, you know, it's hard. Like, like, sometimes we take decisions to kind of move fast on set, too, because, we don't have time and and we have to kind of go for what works or we have tested that and we know how it works and and it's the reference that have already been approved and like talked about and um, sometimes we don't have the privilege to get really finicky or like to actually execute at the level we know we cannot want to. 
sometimes it's like you have 20 minutes for the setup and then you have 20 minutes for the next one and then you have 10 and then you have product shots. So it really depends on like the beast or like the only feature I did in New York. It was like, let's do global lighting. And we're like, whoa, okay, so we have 20 days to shoot 90 pages and we're like, let's do this. <laughs> and you kind of find solutions, but, but in that way, your taste kind of, if you're operating, it's intrinsically there. How you, how you want to. Uh, one thing I love to do is like clean, clean out, clean out. Like the less, I don't know. I'm very. I, I, I think I tend to be a minimalist. Mm. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's something I've noticed about myself. Like I shot this thing at Burning Man, and everybody was like, "What? It looks empty." Like. Wasn't there any people there? I'm like, no, yeah, it was a lot of people. I just didn't find them. Like, I don't know. That's just an example. Bicini is a woman and Latina-owned boutique camera rental house based in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling and as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.bcine.com or write to rentals at bcine.com for general inquiry. Well, is there anything we didn't touch on uh, in this interview that you want to talk about or do you want to say something about? Well, I don't know, because at the beginning, I mean, the only thing I would kind of mention, mm -hmm. like at the beginning, we were like, oh, this is going to be a conversation. And then I felt I talked too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. No. And talked all the time. So I'm I'm more curious about hearing like kind of your feedbacks or like your take or like your you know like what what the vibe is on um, I mean the quest there was some questions that popped up through the conversation that I think are part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I just kinda wanna would love to hear more like your feedback in a way. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I think you spoke very eloquently about a lot of uh, topics that, you know, have come up with other interviews we've had, but also just things we've experienced. I mean, for me in particular, one of the things that really hit home was when you were talking about working in the Latin, Amer the Latin American industry or the Mexican industry and, um, you know, feeling that you have been left out of that community. Um, that's something I definitely personally struggle with, with the Ecuadorian cinema community, because I was educated. I mean, it's a push and pull because I, I went to undergrad and grad school abroad in the United States. Right. I do know the key players of that community. I've worked in some Ecuadorian productions, but it's been really hard for me to get a job there. I put out multiple calls being like, Hey, you know, if you need a DP, I'd love to just let me into interview. I love to interview. And I haven't been even getting an interview in that that industry. And it's been really frustrating because I do want to contribute to that industry as well. Um, but it's very closed off and it's very, it's very small. And I don't feel that I'm actively part of that community. And so it's, it's what you were talking about. Your experience with the Mexican community has been, I was like, oh yeah, okay. That's not just me <laughs> kind of thing. So that, that felt really illuminating. And also just the, the, 
the issue with the visibility of women behind the scenes in Latin America in general. Um, again, going back to some of the experiences I've had in Ecuador, uh, when I was a teacher, one of the things that kind of really struck me about how important being visible and feeling like, oh, I'm doing this job and uh, is I was teaching at one of the universities and I was teaching kind of the second level like intro filmmaking course. It's called Image and Sound 2 or Imagen y Sonido 2. Um, so the students, uh, they're like usually sophomores. They have a little bit of experience. They're not completely green. But um, so I was teaching them a kind of bare bones lighting class, you know, kind of like if you have no budget, how you can light something outside. I was like, you can go buy the one dollar beadboard off like the paper store kind of thing and how to how you aim that. And. I was walking back to my office after that. It was like five o'clock. And this this girl who was in my class, you know, comes up running after her and goes like, teacher, teacher, like professor, professor, like, and I'm like, what? And she's like, I just wanted to tell you, like, thank you so much for being our teacher. And I was like, why? Like, I just graduated. If I, I hadn't shot a feature, I'd like barely got my career off the ground. So I was like, why? Okay. Like, I don't, I didn't think I was like that great. Um, and she was like, no, I just... I've never seen a female DP and I've never like, I didn't even realize that was a career you can do and just seeing Damn. you being able to teach and like be like existing makes me confident that I, that's something I could do. She, she's not a DP, but just like the, the moment that she's like, that opened up her world as to what she could it do. Could be. It could be. I was like, okay, I get it now. This is why this is important. Why visibility in these communities is important. Like why existing or like doing what I do is important just beyond like what I'd love to do as a job. So I think you talking about community and the the changes you've been able to do in Mexico in particular are really inspiring to me, you know, I think. Uh, thank so. you. No, I, I, I think that's so so interesting. And I absolutely agree 100%. It's just it, that, that conversation just reminded me of um, something that happened to me. And I, when I was pretty young, well, I was like 10, maybe 12 years ago, I saw an Asian DP for the first time, an Asian woman DP, and I'm not going to name who she is, right? Um, but I kind of did the same thing. I went up to her and I was like, it's so inspiring. I've never seen a woman DP before, a woman Asian DP. And she was offended. She was really offended because she was like, you've just reduced me to an Asian and a woman DP when mm. you could me to a dp and i was like of course i don't mean it that way mm -hmm. it's just that it's inspiring that to see it right yeah, but I, yeah. I was like thinking like from her perspective i was like oh i've just like taken you from dp to asian and woman dp and i think to her she was that was like reductive or something mm -hmm. you know? right yeah and that's interesting because that was her battle at the moment yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> and and not yours yours was like yeah. Stars, yeah. Stars, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. But she she really was like not friendly about it. She was like upset about it. And I right. like it took me a long time to process. And I was like, I, I think about that regularly, that like mm -hmm. at the one time, like it's our strength that, you know, like it is a strength that we are women DP also, right? We have our yeah. own perspective. We have our like, but also at the same time, I always keep that in mind that we are DPs, right? And like, yeah. I always think about her perspective in that way. And not, not saying that like, that's 
right or wrong, but like that other people feel that way, you know? Well, I think that's ultimately kind of the end goal that, I mean, I think integrating both the idea that like our womanhood or our femaleness, I guess, is is part of what gives us a unique point of view, right? What we bring to the table, but it is not the entirety of it in the same way that I could say like, my Ecuadorianness is part of what I bring to the table, but it's not the entirety of it. Like it, it affects the way I see things and it affects the way I will do my job for sure. And it affects the way of the point of view I will bring to the story. Right. But ultimately I think the objection to all this being just like being reduced to these parts of these of ourselves is that when we're at the hiring table, when we're being considered, we want to be hired because we're good at our job, because we bring a unique point of view, because we are a DP and not necessarily a female DP, an Ecuadorian DP, a Latina DP. Like, it's like, I'm just as good as any other person. And like, you're hiring me because I bring what you need to this table. Yeah. And that's the battle. And I'm really curious about what generation this person was, for example, because generationally it's very different. Like, I will say that they were a millennial. They were not, they weren't like, uh, they're probably to this day, like in their mid thirties. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, exact. which is surprising, right? Because yeah. you would think that it would be a boomer or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Or like so that our generation has more consciousness and carries it more proudly. Mm-hmm. But I understand why it's a battle because mm-hmm. we all also, like yeah. you say, not, like now that you are actually working, now you know what that meant. Yeah. And like, yes, it's inspirational, but it's like this industry just loves to kind of box everybody in and, mm-hmm. and, and like society. We do it all the time and it's like... How can we escape it? Like, oh, a cinematographer, oh, director, oh, oh, both. Wait, what? Yeah. No, and or like, oh, cinematographer, oh, gaffer, oh, what, both? And like that, everything, no? And it's so hard to be taken seriously yeah. if mm-hmm. you're doing other things, or and and then we've had to fight so hard for like, yeah, not. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've all gotten that call. We're looking for a, a female yep. cinematographer. Yeah. yeah, that's why we called you. Yeah. Yeah, like, I was just gonna say that. I was like, we all have that story that like yeah. that person is only looking for a female cinematographer, and like then you're like, are you hiring for the right reasons? Like, yes, you know, yeah. are you sometimes I I feel like you're just hired. Like it's almost like a what's it called? Like a diversity hire, right? You just need that person on set so that you don't have an all male crew. Yeah. Yeah, it's happened to me that I receive scripts that are terrible, mm-hmm. that are like putting women in like really bad yep. situations. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's important that we hire a female cinematographer. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes you think that's so that when they, they know that they're going to get some slack for the movie or some critique for the movie, and then they can at the end say, no, our DP was a woman. It was fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> She was okay with it, so it's not a problem. Yeah, yes. A woman okayed it, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, I totally agree. I think I, I was recent. like, my last feature I felt was the first, one of the first times where, like, I got hired because of a woman, but, like, there was a very, like, it was, like, the, the people, who, the producer and director who hired me, they were like, look, we're we wrote the script about two millennial women like 
going on this like crazy like dark comedy adventure and we realized we're two boomer men we need like a women's voice in the room so i was like okay that's actually a good reason to hire me you know i was like I, I bring something to that table um, and it's like very conscious of like, this is a voice that needs to be in this table and in this environment. I think like, okay, cool. At the cool. same time, doesn't that ask the question, why do some people tell the stories that they do? Right? Mm. Like I feel like Sophie was talking about that earlier. It's like we have to be very conscious about like when we're shooting other people's stories and other cultures. And then it makes you think, why are they writing that story? Right. It's a good like, point. Why does it need to be told from there? Because that's what it sells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, then going back to Paris, Texas, it's like, oh, this European comes to this Midwest town and makes an amazing story, you know? And an amazing movie. But it feels so authentic. But, um, but also in a maybe not an American way. Maybe that's why it's so good. And then the then when he goes and does Aguirre, it also is like what well, the character is born, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think um like there's a license as filmmakers, like yeah, we can do it, but let's do it with respect and with yeah with care and we just those stories. Yeah. And I think understanding how our perspectives are affecting the lens through which we're telling the story, I think being very hyper conscious of it the narrative lens not the actual lens just clarifying because this is a cinematography (laughs) podcast you know and then the world's changing to like the where the stories are coming from and those licenses are changing a lot yeah well on globalization you know like everyone is an immigrant of another place everyone is an expat everyone has lived everywhere so these experiences are helping you know kind of expand our worldviews right yeah. i mean and the bridge the bridge yeah i mean just look at the three people that are at this table right now you know like we're incredibly diverse by you know we've had very complex cultural experiences and you know like come from very complex cultural backgrounds as well so it's part of it's the future no it's like it's like more people are like marrying bicultural families or like Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool to also kind of see how the world is changing and hopefully it's to bridge for the better yeah like for more communication and tolerance and yeah thank john funnily enough one of my underground on that note (laughs) (laughs) well uh where can we find you sophia where can we find you on the internet where can we hire you or follow you on instagram or whatever it is uh my instagram is cinema sophie with s-o-p-h-i-e cinema sophie and my webpage, sophiastiglitz.com. You'll find it there. And my email, everything <laughs> there. Cinemasophie yeah. at gmail.com. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, reach out. Would love to hear from people through this experience. It would be amazing. And thank you so much, Amy, for inviting me and Akina thank you so much for you both for like holding the space and making this happen it's so important and 
And I'm really excited to hear all the other ones and um and and that I feel that this is something important you're doing for the community and definitely the ICFC is important and is is giving a lot of exposure to to all of us and, and it's it's so good to see that that you're putting in the time you know, to to help the community because because like you were saying like maybe right now it's not in Ecuador or whatnot mm-hmm. or but it's where you live it's a community you're a part of yeah. you know you're in LA you mm-hmm. are working there you live there that's where your friends are and it's like and 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 it ripples throughout right like there's so many IFCF um see ICF <laughs> ICFC <laughs> um members that are international and so it does ripple everywhere yeah. to all the other communities what you're doing now and I'm really thankful and I'm super inspired by you guys and you have my utmost respect thank you so much Sophia that was very kind words <laughs> it was great to have you on thank you thank you both Sophia. Um, she's one of my classmates at AFI. She's a, I haven't talked to her in a while. And she, I, I love talking to her because she's just such this beautiful, positive spirit. And I forgot how like uplifted I feel every time I talk to her. So, and also I just, I love how honestly she's so open and honest, you know, like yeah. I love that so much. It's just like, you know, like what she's talking about with her family and her family relationships, like those things are yeah. all so important and like color your life and make you see things the way that you do, you know, like at the end of the day, like, yeah, we're DPs and we all come from different places, but like we all have the same kind of struggles growing up and family, you know, mm-hmm. issues are a big part of like who we are as people. You yeah. Know? And I think she's so honest with us and able to share that with us. And I think that, you know, those things are really insightful. Yeah. 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 I think the family thing in particular, I was like, oh yeah, that's an aspect of this whole journey that we haven't really touched about, like where we come from and like sometimes how, especially if you come from families that value us going, going into more traditional jobs, (laughs) putting it nicely. And how much that can be of a you know a struggle. And I, look, my my family is very very supportive of me now, um, and they were never unsupportive. But there was a moment where like it was definitely a really a big struggle for them to really come to terms with the fact that I was a filmmaker. I, I like to joke that my parents really. I, I've mentioned this before. My parents are academics. You know, like academics and schooling and like that sort of stuff has been very important to them. And they wanted me to go out into the world and make a difference, right? Like that, that was a very core thing. My mom really wanted me to go into STEM fields. Like she really wanted me to become an engineer. And the joke I say about my parents is they really wanted an engineer and a philosopher, They or an engineer and a lawyer, and they got a filmmaker and a philosopher. So like, you know, and like coming, you know, how those familiar relationships and the amount of support we get or don't get as we're going up and going into these careers is, does affect us. And I think- yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think, like, you know, from being a parent standpoint, like, I can see, hey, like, you know, the industry, like, unless you come from the industry, it seems like a very daunting industry to enter, you know? And also a lot of people don't know a lot of, like you say, you throw gaffer around, like, people don't really know what that is. A lot of people don't know what exactly a gaffer does, you know? Or I've thought about, like, you know, like some like some more nuanced titles in, in the industry but even you know like recently my mom still doesn't really understand what I do you know oh that was a whole yeah. thing when I yeah, first said just... like I'm somewhat of a director and I'm like no like I don't really I don't really yeah like that's kind of you know and then she, now she just says like oh camera person yeah like, well okay <laughs> that's close enough <laughs> I mean and also I think that like but like the how the so I think a big part of it is also is like this lack of understanding of how the structure of the system works and yeah. that goes as far as even the people who are in the industry right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. fully understanding all the like steps that you take like other jobs like corporate jobs for instance like there is yeah. a trajectory for you to follow there is a mm-hmm. corporate ladder that you can step for and this is how yep. you know you're associate director of this or your director of development you're whatever whatever you know you have all these Mm -hmm. titles that you go up and it's kind of like structured and laid out for you right like you have incentives you have you know performance reviews quarterly or yearly whatever um look at me talk i don't know about all these things i don't (laughs) well (laughs) no you're right i i have worked in a corporate structure i have that sounds that sounds about right i mean like yeah there's like dealing hr and payroll and all (laughs) all these different things and there's a structure to it and uh, people understand that right because all across the board like if you a lot of family like wherever you were or you work in a restaurant or you know like things are structured in a way that makes sense right yeah the film industry you're like oh well you're non-union or now you're entering the union but like does the union get you jobs like right the union doesn't give you jobs what does a roster mean like what is being called up for and then the different unions right Mm -hmm. like what's 600 what's 728 like well what are all these different things what does that mean or like you know kind of what we was talking about like can you be a DP, but also someone who dabbles in ACing or gaffing or mm-hmm. mopping, right? Like, I, I tell my mom sometimes, I'm like, oh, I'm mopping for this show, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. She's like, oh, so you're not DP. And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh. So that, you know, <laughs> yeah. then it's like, that's even more confusing. Yeah. It's like, what are you yeah. going to do? Like, is, you know, so what does that mean? What are you, you're operating the camera, so you're not the DP? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm like, yeah. okay. So it doesn't matter, but like those are all in the same field, right? But then mm-hmm. also like how do we get paid? You know, she's like, Oh, like, have you gotten paid yet? You know, mm-hmm. like or, or like she'll she'll she's like obsessed. She's my my mom really is interested in taxes because she's an accountant, right? So she, <laughs> she loves that kind of thing. But she's always like, Oh, like so ten ninety nines or W twos or uh, you know, like what do you mean they haven't paid you yet? And I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah whatever you know like like there's so many things that like yeah is complicated right and yeah like, even people in the industry don't understand fully right yeah so how do you explain that you know well I mean I think it's kind of understanding I think my mom knows what I do now but the reason <laughs> the way I got her to understand is she's an industrial engineer so I'm like mom I'm like a project manager and she's like oh no, yeah yeah that's good So like just kind of understanding how your parents, like how they see the world and how they view it and like kind of trying to be like, oh, this is what I do. But in your world, I think is is really 
um, helps. But also, yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 very nebulous. It's something that's consistently changing, and like I think you know, just yeah, having people understand what we do outside of this this world and um, getting that support is or having that support because like that's the other thing. There's a lot of people in this industry still who like don't have familiar support you know even even now and like so i think i personally i was like oh i'm very lucky my parents like yeah. are supportive of my career now they still question well, it from a come to time uh, but it, it has you have like you know we've talked about this a lot it kind of comes from a little bit of privilege like you yeah. have a certain not like full-on safety net there are lots of people who work their ass like i work mm-hmm. my ass off also right like i had a full-time job I went through college I worked on the side on the weekends you know kind of what back to Jendra's episode like I I did the same thing right I also mm-hmm. worked really 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 hard to to have kind of a a system and at some point like you know there's a part of my life where I had one foot in and one foot out because I had to have another job to like pay the bills right that wasn't Mm -hmm. in the film industry and I did that for a long time till I like you know took my other foot out and said okay I'm diving in and struggling and you know like I'm lucky in a lot of ways like I have a really incredible supportive partner you know and Mm -hmm. in some ways like that serves as like a psychological safety net in a lot of ways lucky because of that right like I can take these take kind of chances like that and do certain things and not everyone can no I think I think we undervalue or we don't talk about like yeah the psychological safety net that just some of us have I mean that that's really important whether it come from a partner or your parents or your friends like that is really important and like yeah we don't talk about like you have to like have a certain x amount in your savings to like carry you for a couple you know at least a year (laughs) or like you know that's a big deal. I mean, like I and I look, I I had to take a technically non-film job for three years. Um, I was working at a TV station in Sacramento um, from twenty That's August film 20th. Adjacent. It's film adjacent, but it, it's not quite the same, you know. And like it, it was different enough that you know it was a different structure. That's why I I, I did work for a corporate in a corporate structure. That's what I meant, you know. Like I, I had a nine to five. I worked in the marketing department, um, and I really value my experience there and value the time I was there. I met some really incredible people. I'm not going to devalue that experience at all. But there was a moment, you know, there were six months before I quit where I was just like, you know, it just I was outgrowing the job and I was outgrowing the need that I had for them. And I was talking to a friend, you know, and I was like, look, I just I'm like, I'm done with this job. I'm like, I really it's, it's making me miserable. It's like I really want to like just jump back into filmmaking and just go for it. But like. I don't have the financial stability quite yet. I was like, I need, like I had very little savings. I was like, I can't just like jump off the deep end and like financially speaking and move back to LA and make it work. Right. And like, it was someone who would be like, just do it, just do it, just do it. You need to do it. And I'm just like, it's not that simple. It really isn't like, I don't have the financial safety net to do it right now. And it took me those other six months to like get to a place where I was like, okay, I have enough of a financial safety net. For me, for myself, to be like, okay, I'm quitting my job, going full freelance, <laughs> right? But it, it it just 
it's not that simple, you know, especially if you don't have that emotional or, or financial safety net for yourself. Right. And then there's also consequences to it, you mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. some part of me feels that like I'm maybe a few years older than where I should be, you know, maybe like my yeah. career like should be in a slightly different place based on how old I am. But also like that's a that's a crazy thing that I think of, you know, the number yeah. is a very thing like our careers hit when we are careers. And it's not like I'm comparing myself to like this person or that person did mm-hmm. this you know it's like mm-hmm. that is a losing game you know it's yeah. like some like you could you know like someone shot their big feature and went to Sundance and they were 23 years old like this is never ending right you can't do that but at no. the same time I do feel that like had I had an extra five years where I wasn't struggling and wasn't like having my you know like real job and also I uh, you know full transparency like I had another job that like paid really well you know so it was like accustomed to a certain kind of lifestyle because yeah. I had, like a salary job that was really cushy and comfy and like made me think like this is a very viable career path that mm-hmm. I'm going to give up right yes yes and but now now here I am and now I feel like maybe I'm only getting older and still at the same place, right? Like yeah. against the door and saying, okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But, um, you know, the reality is like, we're always like, we're always thinking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think maybe, especially as women, we think about it a little bit more. Yes. Because there is this like whole other aspect of like, you know, having a family and like that part of you that, um, there's like a biological clock that yeah. is ticking automatically anyways, regardless if you have children or not, like it's still something that you're aware of, right? Like your body's yeah. going through these changes and um, those things are, make you aware of your mortality more. And then you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. where's <laughs> no yeah and I think for me one of those things is like again going back to that experience at that job you know like I was there for three years and like again I got a lot of out of it there were a lot of really like my third feature came out of that job like from someone I met at that job um I've met a lot of really amazing people there that are filmmakers in their own right and like amazing humans and collaborators and but there are moments where I'm just like did I lose those three years? Did yeah. those years like stop the momentum that my career could have been having? And there's a bigger aspect to that. I was like, well, about two of those years, it was the pandemic. So like, you know, like, okay, you were gainfully employed in the pandemic. Do you really want to complain about that? Um, in an, again, film adjacent field, but also like, had there not been the pandemic, I'm like, or even in the moments during that job where it wasn't, you know, the pandemic, did I lose momentum? That is a question I ask myself. And I I totally feel what you just said about like, you know, I feel older than where I should be sometimes. And I was like, did I lose those years? And for me, I have to consistently reframe that being like, no, you didn't. That was part of your path. You know, it led to where led to all these opportunities, led to all these great experiences. And it actually kind of I say like it, it was a detour, but it was also, and it ended up being a shortcut, you know, and, and also, but that question's still in my mind. I absolutely. And it's, it's, it's hard to contend with for sure. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about this a lot too, is that like the level of success is different for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and like, yeah where you should be in terms of what is successful is different for everybody. And yeah. 
like I said, like when people say like, oh, what have I seen you? What have I seen that you've shot? You know, mm-hmm. I have to be like, oh, probably nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, sh- like, you know, probably you haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that comes to play. I mean, like speaking about um, bigger, like markets like Latin American market, right? Where that is a little bit more prevalent. Like I go back home and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm a filmmaker living in Los Angeles. And I was like, ooh, that's a cool job. And like, have you shot anything I've seen? I've seen them like, no, not, not, no, no. Just a, three mm-hmm. indie features and a bunch of music videos. And they're like, oh, and it's just like the, the silence behind that. Oh, that you're just like they're very, they're very yeah. impressed, and then now they're thoroughly unimpressed with you. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Um. But back to Sophia, I think another thing that you know I think is really insightful, and also like very like makes you think a lot about how our industry is so young, but also mm. the gaffing and electricians like come from electricians right Mm -hmm. that's why it's like male dominated Mm -hmm. fields and that's how it has been forever and that's you know kind of why and it's also such a like physical laborous kind of job you know like Mm -hmm. m18s are heavy to deadlift you know yeah Um, (laughs) yeah yes they are Um, so like that's interesting to me why, you know, like, I guess that it could be a social, I mean, I guess it's obvious, right? It should have been mm-hmm. obvious, but it's something that we don't want to take time to think about and be like, oh, like, that is why you don't see as many women in Genie. Mm-hmm. I think that what she's doing is incredible, you know, because yeah. there's definitely, like, that stigma of how difficult it is to get into Genie, but also how difficult it is to, like, learn in a safe and unintimidating environment yeah you know, I remember like I've been on some sets where like you know if there's something that you have never used like it's almost like condescending you know like people are like roll their eyes and they're like oh you're wasting my time like you're just a hazard you're just a waste of space you're like kind of you know in the way mm-hmm. you know definitely mm-hmm. have been that, felt that way you know yeah and, um like that's not conducive to learn like I'm not like yes you can learn in that aspect but like it, avenue but it's not good for anybody right mm-hmm. like and yeah. soul crushing in a lot of ways and yeah. a lot of ways makes you never want to be in the grip truck again right yeah trying to avoid that experience that negative experience whereas other departments you know maybe are more opening and obviously it varies from person to person and i'm not saying that like it's still like that and everywhere like there are definitely opportunity like there are definitely like incredibly kind you know male gaffers that will yeah you know i'm not saying it as a blanket statement for everybody Mm -hmm. but it's definitely and i'm sure everyone who's listening also has some kind of experience of that yeah whether it's not personal or they've seen it they've seen it secondhand or Mm -hmm. you know heard it from one of their friends well, I mean, learning G and E is such an interesting thing, anyways. You know, like, yeah. I always say, like, you don't learn anything in film school because you you have to learn it on set. But on set, at the same time, it's so fast that you're learning things in tiny little piecemeal. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be different scenarios. It's like, oh, like you know, and everyone has a different opinion of it. Like how to clip mm-hmm. a gel, like you know, yeah, yeah, or how to you know how to run power the most efficient way, or I don't mm-hmm. know, like just there's a lot of different different things that like take a long time to learn you know yeah yeah and I mean speaking of film school and just women in general one of the things I I observed when I was a teacher in film school is that like 
there was this like fear of female identifying students of like operating heavy machinery because it was like I, I don't know and I you know I would just be like okay no come here touch the light clip on the gel like it's not scary I promise you you will be okay you know um but giving people like the confidence to even that first step of like just just try it you know don't be scared of it you know you can do it because a lot of I, I just see it a lot of undergrad students again that and again this is Ecuador so like that's the perspective I'm seeing it from that you know we're told that you shouldn't be handling heavy machinery, that we're told you can't lift something really heavy, that you're told that you can't manage electricity. I'm like, no, nah, that's bullshit. Just <laughs> come and touch the light. I'll show you how to do it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, th that's, I think uh, a lot of that is growing up, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like my dad is an engineer and I remember kind of any time that like something needed to be rewired or like some wiring thing, like he would just kind of do it for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that I, I don't know if this generational or like, I obviously like my dad doesn't have the like thought in his mind that like, Oh, my daughter, like can't learn, you know, he like yeah. doesn't need to learn how to do, you know, but like my brother, I think he would have been like, here, I'll, let me show you how to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I, but I don't think it's like a, inherent like if i had brought it up to him he would have been like oh yeah that's kind of sexist of me huh oops yep, yep. no <laughs> like yeah. i think he, he would have said it like that and he's he would obviously teach me how to do it like he would show it to me now you know but i think when i was a kid growing up like there's this like oh like my daughter doesn't have to learn how to wire this this yeah this cable you know or like you know like a like if a lamp needs to be rewired at home right like something mm -hmm. like that like yeah. you know and I, I just think I just think of that that's like a lot of the ways that like culturally societally like we're grown up like that we're raised like that you know yeah cultural programming like is really heavy sometimes it's really really dense and it's it, to break through that I've found that it's like sometimes it's Sometimes it's just being cognizant of what's going on, but like breaking through your own cultural programming and your own biases can be one of the hardest things, you know? Um, and some of this is so ingrained in all of us. And sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. And I'm like, oh crap, that was, that was mm. like what you said with your dad, you know, like if you point it out, like they would, that's not an attitude they would want to have in themselves. And the minute it's pointed out to them, they will instantly correct it. So yeah, but it's just so programmed into us that we don't even notice it's there sometimes. Well, and also, you know, like we have to be as women, we have to kind of be honest, you know, like there's times where, oh, OK, I will be honest. There's times where like there's a lot of really heavy stuff to load and someone's like, do you need help? And I'm like, no, you know, I don't. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, well, if you want to lift that, if you insist on <laughs> carrying that, I'm not going to fight you for it. And you know that, like, that guy was not going to ask me to carry his Jenny, like, carry the, lift the Jenny up or, like, whatever, if I was a guy, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, like, me, and like, is it my, is it, so here's the thing, right? Is it, is it my responsibility to say, okay, no, this equality issue, right? Like, mm -hmm. no, I should say no, and I'm going to fight to lift to the jenny it's yeah. that's what it should be right like we should be doing things like that right if we want to be equal and we mm -hmm. want to be respected and we want to have these things we have to also stop doing certain things that be like oh, you know 
And I'm not saying like there's some, obviously like it's not an economic from a condescending way like a, oh do you need help with that like you know mm-hmm. yeah like, yeah no, like I don't need help with that like I don't, and I don't think they mean it that way they're no. just asking out of like their cultural programming mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. societal programming where they're mm-hmm. like let me be a gentleman and say oh I'm free anyways and do you need a hand with that right yeah. I mean, I'm inclined to say yes more now just because I'm just like I'm 34 and my 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 back, my back is just starting like 100 percent. you could carry the airy case 100%. by yourself. Well, you and, could, okay, hold on. and but... also it really. OK, and also it depends on what role you are. Right. Like if yeah. you're and your grips are there, like, OK, <laughs> sure, you're not doing it anyways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really bad at the thing. Like whenever I have an AC and like I pick, like, I'm just so used to like picking up my own camera and just moving it. And then the AC will run behind me being like, no, that is my job. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us for this week and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to icfcpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Van Develde, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung.